Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to the show. You are here with your host, Auntie Vice. It's good to be back. Today, I'm here with Christina Hughes from My Big Fat Pregnancy. She is a doula. She is an advocate for size-inclusive healthcare, And I am so thrilled you are on the show. Welcome to Fat Chick. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here today. So we talk a lot about on the show healthcare issues. You are open that you had really positive experiences during your pregnancies. So let's for, for once, let's get a good healthcare experience talking yeah. about we'll start with that. Yeah. I so mean I guess your pregnancy. I guess in all fairness, they started they started with twenty eight years of not great healthcare. So, you know, I um uh, my whole life I've been fat my whole life and from a young age I was told that that fatness would keep me from having children or it would make the process process significantly harder, um, more complicated. And I've been told this since I was 12, since I had my first kind of gynecological experience, right? And so my whole life, I believed that I believe that narrative and I planned for it. I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to take me so long to get pregnant. I'm not going to find a doctor who wants to work with me because I'm fat. All of these things, right? All these thoughts. Um, and when my partner and I decided that we wanted to have kids, we're like, okay, it's going to take a while. My OB told me it was going to be at least a year, if at all, you know, we were going to get pregnant, which by the way, is not true. Please don't wait a year to get support with having a baby. But I got pregnant in my first cycle. And it was shocking to me because it was so opposite of the narrative that I'd heard about my body and my body's capabilities. And so, you know, that combined with, um, at that point, maybe about five years of eating disorder recovery and my uh, exploration into body liberation and fat positivity uh, and sex positivity, I was like, you know, there has to be something different. This is this 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 has there has to be someone who's willing to look at me as a whole person and look at my baby as an extension of myself, you know, not this thing, you know, that I'm growing and I'm not going to be capable of because of my body. So uh, long story short, too late for that. I went on a big journey to find providers who would value my body and believe that I was capable of birthing and capable of having a pregnancy with either little complications or that, you know, we could handle those complications when they came up. I interviewed so many providers. Um, and in the end, because of that experience, I decided that a midwifery team was the best for me. And I decided that I wanted to birth at home. And so those two things vastly shaped how I moved through my pregnancy. 
And fortunately, I got to avoid everything to do with hospitals and OBs and the size exclusion and fat phobia and bias that exists specifically in, in obstetrics, you know, pretty harshly. And so, yeah, I had two wonderful, amazing, empowering home births. Um, I had no complications with my pregnancies. Um, they proceeded as normal, delivered on time and a little bit early. And yeah, it was it was one of the most life-changing things I've ever experienced. So I said, you know what? I have to be able to talk to other people about this. I have to let other people know that there are other ways, that there are ways that we can find people who will, you know, value our bodies and believe we're worthy of this experience to become parents. And I did it. And so I know it's possible. And I'm here to help as many people as possible um, on that path. That's fantastic. So there's a lot in there I want to get into. Yeah. So first is, it's and it's an experience a lot of people who have been bigger bodies since they were kids have, is you are told things that this is medically what's going to happen to you mm -hmm. because yep. you're large. Yep. When it comes to pregnancy, because there's a lot of myths around that mm -hmm. and that are, that are pro perpetuated by the healthcare professionals. What's the reality of being bigger bodied and wanting to get pregnant? Yeah. So I'm very into research and I do a lot of research in my spare time for my clients, for myself. Um, and so far, from what I've discovered and working with other fat folks in the pregnancy area, there is no complication that exists solely for fat people. So there's nothing that because of extra adipose tissue on your body, you will absolutely have because you're pregnant. 90% of pregnancies in general don't have complications. And that includes people who are fat or according to, you know, physicians, higher BMI or high risk, right? Um, <clears throat> so as far as getting pregnant, that's not as much my area of expertise. Listeners should definitely check out That Positive Fertility with Nicola Salmon. That's all she does is fertility-related issues um, for fat folks. So um, pregnancy itself, there should be no additional, there should be no solely um, related uh, complications to being fat. You had been expecting this to take a long time to mm -hmm. get pregnant. How did getting pregnant, and, you know, surprise, yeah, in a month you're pregnant. Yeah. How did that change the, the planning and uh, how you went through your pregnancy? Because you thought you had more time. Yeah. I mean, I feel really lucky because we were in the mindset that we wanted children and we were able to easily conceive. And that's not the reality for a lot of people, not just fat people, but a lot of people. And it's something we don't talk about very often. But yeah, it accelerated the timeline for sure. And the amount of self-work that you end up doing during pregnancy and like coming to terms with some of your triggers and things that, especially body-wise, right, you're growing another human inside of you, which I still think is ridiculous. And right, your body's changing and growing and it looks different and it feels different. And all of those things are mental, emotional, you know, things that we have to face, especially if you have any sort of, you know, eating disorder past or, you know, anything like that. So it definitely accelerated my self-healing more than I was um, anticipating. But yeah, we were so thrilled that, you know, it didn't, it didn't really affect much in terms of, um, in terms of the actual course of things. It did affect interviewing people a lot earlier um, to try and make sure that we had the right care team for us. It's one thing a lot of people don't realize you can do is you can interview your doctors. You don't have to take who you've been assigned. Yeah. Uh, what goes into a good interview to find somebody who will work with you? 
Yes, that's a, such a good question. Um, so I would say that, um, you know, first of all, you have to recognize the limitations of our healthcare system in terms of there may be limitations to who you can see based on your insurance or your, demo, you know, where you live, um, right? Those things are all all limiting factors for folks. But yeah, you can interview a provider. Um, OBs, I would say it's probably a lot harder to get a true appointment for an interview because they only give you about 15-ish minutes, if at all, if they're open to that. Um, and usually you're right, they just assign you someone or they say, oh, well, this is the doctor who has the next opening. But if you don't like them and there are other options in your clinic, other options with your insurance, you can switch within your clinic and interview folks and see if they align. And you can go outside of that clinic, again, if you have the ability um, insurance-wise. And you can also consider home birth and birth center births. Most low-risk pregnancies are actually safer at home, safer in terms of less interventions, less uh, direct medical <laughs> um, complications. So yeah, we have a guide um, uh, on our website that's called All Bodies Welcome. And it is exactly that. It's a step-by-step process to questions you can ask your providers, how you can go about the interview process. But the biggest thing is you want to know if they believe in your ability to birth, you know, in a, in a fat body and what kind of interventions or complications they believe you will have because you're fat and that they will be hyper attuned to with any labs, any growth scans, you know, anything like that, they're going to be more likely to diagnose you or recommend testing early if you are a fat person. That's what I've seen time and time again for my clients. So asking about what their beliefs are on weight inclusion, you know, do they believe in size inclusive care? Do they, you know, do they automatically label you high risk if you have a higher BMI, right? Those sorts of things can start to give you an idea if they're going to be even open to, you know, working um, open-mindedly with a, with a fat pregnant person. So you went with home birth with with both of your children, and there's that's been slowly coming back. That yeah. used to be the standard. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit. You know, a lot of us think it's just going to be medicalized. You're going to get go into the ER when you're pregnant. So what's the difference with a with a home birth? Yeah, what do you have to have set up. How do you find a doula? All that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, you know, the best way that we have um, found to uh, prepare for home births is it's a mental preparation more than anything, right? It's it's letting go of the fear that's been instilled in our culture, our birth culture, that like birth is a medical event, right? That you need to be someplace, quote unquote, safe. Um, which we know is not the case for black and brown birthers, right? We know that being in the hospital is actually way less safe for them. So it's about mentally getting past the fear of like, what if something happens, right? Transfers are usually pretty low. Transfer meaning you move from a home birth to a hospital in the event of an emergency. Um, And midwives are extremely capable of handling some pretty complicated emergencies at home until you can get, you know, support from medical professionals. So getting past that fear is huge. Um, preparing your physical space. Um, there are some things that, you know, you need to purchase. You need to make sure you have, um, you have to rent a birthing pool, you know, if you want the option to have a water birth. So there are some additional costs um, which are prohibitive and most of the time not covered by insurance. 
And not everyone has a home where they can have a home birth, right? Uh, Small apartments, lots of kids, right? Lots of family, you know, loud noises, right? It may not be a good environment. So we we take all that into consideration. But you're at your own home. And if that's a safe place for you, you're going to start so far ahead of folks who are in the bright lights, loud noise, beeping environment, busy nursing staff, right? Environment of a hospital. So you went from using a, a home birth situation to now you're a doula and you you coach people what's the process like there's a we use the term a lot but i don't know if people know what an actual doula does doula is like, yeah is. yeah for yeah. sure so yeah um i like to think of doulas as like best friends who know uh epic amount about birth right so it's it's folks who are there to hold you and support you and your partner if that's you know something that you um want emotionally physically mentally right we're there to help you be physically comfortable mentally comfortable um depending on the doula not all doulas believe in this but um, i believe a big part of doula work is advocacy for our clients is making sure that they understand what the doctor's saying that they feel like they have time to make decisions, that they feel empowered to choose something, even if it's in opposition to what the medical provider is saying, or if they just don't understand what the medical provider is saying, right? We spend time just kind of debriefing sometimes. What are the actual options? What does that mean? So I think that's one of my biggest responsibilities is to make sure that my patients feel heard or my clients feel heard and cared for because the research tells us that you can actually have a positive birth experience and look back on your birth fondly and not have birth trauma, which is so common in our country, when you feel cared for and respected, regardless of what kind of interventions or traumatic events may happen, you can still feel more positive about your birth and you know, if if you have that level of care and respect. So I try and be the the barrier, the buffer, right? The the encourager of that environment so that, you know, even if things go different than how they planned or thought it would go in their head that they don't feel like, you know, they were railroaded or they didn't have a choice or, you know, time was weaponized, right? That's that's some of the bigger, more kind of deep things that I watch out for. Creating a science-inclusive culture for birth. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things for, you know, people in the medical profession, for people who work with folks who are pregnant, what are some of the real basic stuff that's missing in most spaces? Yeah, I mean, if we think about one of the first things that come to my mind always is if we think about physical space, right? Like exam tables are usually never big enough for fat folks, right? Gowns are usually not big enough. Those stupid little pieces of cloth paper that they give you to cover your genitals, those are never big enough, right? Like that kind of stuff at just a a basic level, Um, making sure the waiting room has chairs with no arms, right? Making sure that um, you have all sizes of blood pressure cuffs, right? All of those lead to <clears throat> lead to a physically more comfortable environment, which can allow fat folks to relax um, a little bit and 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 breathe a little bit easier because you know their hips aren't being squeezed squeezed to death by a chair while they're trying to focus on their provider. 
And then I would say that, you know, really uh, understanding the current research. Providers need to be aware that oftentimes it takes 10 plus years for research to make it to practice. And that's unacceptable, right? Like we should be, we should be very aware of bias by now. We should be very aware of how it shows up, you know, seen, unseen, you know, implicit, explicit, right? In all, in all identities. But it weight is still one of the most acceptable ways to discriminate against folks. It's one of the easiest things people get judged for, mocked for, made fun of, paid less, right? All of the things. So they need to be aware that those exist and that that a place where they're coming to get support for birth, a super emotional, vulnerable thing, right? Should not be another place where we put body size above valuing the human in front of us. One of the difficult things with that is sometimes you're stuck with the provider that you're given. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. And some providers don't know, like you can, I've seen this in my own providers, like they want to address weight, but they don't want to be insulting. Yeah. So they don't know the language and how to go about it. So yeah. for, for folks who are bigger body, what are some of your tips for just, how do you make it a conversation you can have with a provider? Yeah. Clearly wants, knows that there's a problem, but doesn't know how to go about fixing it. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, you know, I don't, I don't view being fat during pregnancy a problem. And so for me, it's just a conversation, right? It's just bringing it up with your provider and that can be super uncomfortable. So one of the first things that I do and I suggest that my clients do is let their provider know in like very first meetings of like, I know I'm fat. I'm not here for intentional weight loss. I'm not here to have this conversation. I don't want to talk about weight loss during my pregnancy. You know, and if you have any stipulations about testing or, you know, anything like that, being really firm from the beginning and not rude, not mean, but firm, right? About how you expect to be treated um, and giving them the language, right? I find very often saying like, I identify as fat. I am a fat person. And it is okay if you use the word fat. You can use the word obese. I don't mind it, but I don't use it, you know, for my clients because it's pathologizing, you know, um, fatness. But I let them know that like, it's a thing I know about myself and they don't have to skirt around it. If they truly believe there's something risky because I'm big, I want to hear about it. But I also want the chance to do my own research and say, actually, no, that's not true. So I would say setting those boundaries from the very beginning, letting your provider know how you choose to be you know, talk to um, about that topic, whether you're interested in hearing about it at all or not. Um, there's some really great folks out there right now who also have um, some no way cards, which are basically just like little business cards that say like, I do not want to be weighed at any point in time or like give the exceptions in which they will be weighed. Um, and that can be a very like nonverbal way to like start the conversation and show that you're not interested in, you know, anything to do with that conversation. So when it comes to being weighed and weight gain and intentional weight loss, this gets very complicated during pregnancy because you're going to gain, you need to gain weight during pregnancy. So, yeah, yeah. uh, And I do know, you know, there's been plenty of people in my life who the provider said, well, you should lose weight during pregnancy. Like, Mm -hmm. is that ever a reasonable approach? Not in my opinion. So in my opinion, that's a super unethical way to go about treating a patient. This is one of the things I could get on a pedestal and scream about for so long. So if we look at the American College of Gyne- uh, the American um, Association of Gynecology, ACOG, 
they have recommendations for how much weight you should gain based on your BMI. So first and foremost, BMI is bullshit and it's not an accurate measure of health. So we shouldn't be basing anything off of BMI. Second, the amount of weight that they suggest for the highest weight category for the highest BMI category is not enough to even grow a human. So the typical weight gain just to grow a baby, um, your blood volume doubles, right? All of these things and not including any additional weight loss, right? We need at least 25 to 35 pounds. So ACOG recommends 11 to 18. So what they're saying is that you need to lose weight during pregnancy, right? Which is just, it's super unethical. This is a time when people should be focusing on nourishing their bodies in any way that feels good. And that could be, you know, food-wise, it could be a salad one day, it could be a burger the next, it could be saltines for three weeks, right? Like you can't, you can't come into a pregnancy or my belief is you can't come into a pregnancy telling someone they need to focus on weight loss. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it, it harms, it harms the, 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 the parent and the baby. And there's no research, right? There's, there's one line after the chart that says higher BMIs may be able to gain less weight during pregnancy safely, but there's no studies. There's no links. There's nothing. It's just a statement. And I have never found anything that suggests it's safe to gain under the normal amount that it takes, right? Um, and that the exception being, right, there are some conditions during pregnancy that cause us to lose extreme weight, right, to be really sick. And you can still have a perfectly healthy baby, you know, even if you experience that. But, right, it's something that's watched and supported and, you know, helped along the way. So, intentional weight loss during pregnancy big fucking no-no for me oops sorry am i allowed to say that on here <laughs> we, oh we swear all the time okay. on here yeah okay, yeah good. yeah <laughs> good, good. yeah it's a huge it's a huge absolutely no for me and on that topic it's the same for providers recommending that folks need to lose weight before they get pregnant um that is a huge huge annoyance for me because most of the time they suggest, oh, you need to lose five to 10% of your body weight before you have, you know, before you get pregnant or before you try and get pregnant. That's like their general recommendation for anything, right? For most people who are fat, not considering maybe small fats, right? For most people who are fat, even if they lost five to 10% of their body weight, they wouldn't move out of the BMI category they're already in. So it's like, how does that recommendation actually support their health, right? It doesn't, right? It doesn't even get them to, quote unquote, the healthy BMI that they're, you know, striving for you to get to, you know, postponing your family, your ambitions of having a family because you need to lose weight. Lose weight it's, it's a crock, in my opinion, and it needs to be one of the first things that's gone from providers, you know, beliefs about supporting uh, folks in larger bodies when they want to have babies. Along with that comes up when you're, when you're pregnant and you're going in for all of the, the checkups, they want to weigh you. They want to see her gaining their, their measuring bodies for somebody who is recovering from an eating disorder. How do you process through all of that? Cause that could be incredibly triggering every time you go in. 
Yeah, definitely. So there's several options, right? There's that no way card that we talked about. Um, there's, um, you know, just having a conversation. Usually it's like the PA who weighs you or the physician's assistant or the nurse, right? Um, so you can, you know, tell them, like, I prefer not to be weighed. If you don't mind being weighed, but you just don't want to know, you can ask for a no C weight where you turn around and they just put it in your chart. There's some issues with that, in my opinion, because they can still use that information weaponized against you right later on. So yeah, if you don't want to be weighed, you know, you you do need to say something. And oftentimes they can put it in your chart. Sometimes it's abided by, sometimes it's not. Um, unfortunately, it's one of those ones that I just have to work with my clients to build up a tolerance to say no and to, you know, know that no is an acceptable answer, right? They don't need to qualify it. They don't need to do anything. They can just say no. One of the biggest like misconceptions around that is that they need weight um, in order for insurance, that it's an insurance requirement. And this is like across medicine. This is not just birth. And while insurance companies do ask for that sort of information, like demographic, you know, just like demographic or other information, they are not going to not bill your insurance because you don't have a weight on file, right? And they often make it seem like well, we have to have this information for the insurance. No, the insurance asks you for that information because they want to know so they can use it to make more money, right? Like that's that's the system that we're in. So um, that's a big myth I have to dispel with my with my clients. Yeah, it sucks. I I had to go in several times to have growth scans because my midwives midwives don't usually do ultrasounds. They're not ultrasound techs mm-hmm. or you know reading reading those. Um, And I had one time where I had to decline being weighed seven times and I had to, I had to get a manager involved, right? Like every excuse, they used every excuse at me, like, well, we have to have it on file. What if you need medication, right? The insurance company won't let us bill. Like we have to have this information, you know, all of this stuff, right? And would not take no for an answer, right? Would not take no for an answer. I have exercised this muscle so many times that for me, it's fine, right? I will say no until the cows come home and I will also involve staff, right? But not everyone's comfortable with that. So, you know, getting more comfortable with having that conversation is is key. And I would say... A side note on all of this, if you're not comfortable being weighed and they say, oh, well, we have to know how much you're gaining, right, in order to determine the health of your pregnancy, um, there's other measurements that they can take. Um, There's something called fundal height, which is a measurement from the top of your uterus down to the bottom of your um, pubic bone uterus area. And they use that measurement to assess growth. It's a tried and true practice that folks have been using for a really long time. It doesn't involve, you know, numbers. It doesn't involve weight. It doesn't, you don't even have to know, you know, the centimeters that usually say it in centimeters. And most of us in the States don't know what that means in inches. So you know, um, it's it's another tactic, another thing you can ask for or advocate for instead of being weighed is is a fundal height measurement. So for folks who are more recently recovered from eating disorders, mm-hmm. one of the things with pregnancy too is it causes all sorts of weird cravings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how what type of support can folks give to people who are trying to recover from an eating disorder while they're still going? All I can eat is is saltines or all I'm craving is Taco Bell. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. And I would say that for the birthing person who's going through that, finding support outside of their obstetrics team or their or their care team is probably going to be the most beneficial, right? Having an anti-diet dietitian or being in an outpatient rehab, right? If you're really a rehabilitation program, if you're really recent to, you know, coming out of that. And yeah, there's going to be a ton of triggers. So making sure that you have a supportive community to talk to, you know, hiring a doula early can be really beneficial for that because you have someone in your corner who is all about birth and you can just call and be like, hey, I need to talk about this. Because oftentimes too, we don't tell a lot of people we're pregnant until like 12 weeks, right? We have this weird first trimester rule where we don't share in case there's, you know, a miscarriage, right? But we need all of that support all the time. So hiring a doula early can give you someone to talk to, can give you a space. If something does happen, you have someone there who understands and knows and has gone through it either personally or, you know, with their with their clients. Um, so yeah, getting support early. There's a lot of amazing amazing podcasts out there right now about birth. And there's some of them that talk about um, eating disorders and craving, you know, craving things like that. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things, right? Birth and pregnancy is such a mental game, right? It's such a mental mind fuck to be like, okay, all I want this week is X, right? And before I would, I was always of the mindset I couldn't have that or it was unhealthy, right? And, and getting rid of those voices and those things that keep going in our brain is, is the hardest battle. So having someone to talk about it, writing about it, going to therapy, right? All of those things can, can be really great supports. Yeah. I laugh because it makes me laugh because I think about my own pregnancies and I literally had three weeks where I ate nothing but Caesar salad. And then I had a week and a half, two weeks where I wanted every type of fast food. Like I wanted each fast food down the road, like Taco Bell for one meal, you know, Arby's for the next, right? And I, and each time I was like, I shouldn't be doing this, right? This is in air quotes for those of you who can't see me, right? I shouldn't be doing this. And even in five years into my recovery, I still had moments where I was like, oh, shit, like, should I be eating this much processed food? And it's like, well, you know, it's all about balance. And sometimes it's literally all you can put in your body, right? Your your body will tell you, no, no, you're not going to eat that today, right? Like when I wanted that fast food, if you would have offered me a Caesar salad, I probably would have barfed immediately, right? So it's just, it is, it's so weird. And you have to, you have to like... You almost have to laugh at it because it's it doesn't make any sense and it varies so much person to person and pregnancy to pregnancy. But yeah, I do a lot of work with my clients in one-on-one sessions about that and just holding space to be heard for how hard that is. Well, and I think even for folks who don't have eating disorders, diet culture is so much of it. Like, you know, you shouldn't be eating this many carbs, processed food is bad, blah, blah. And we have so many rules around yep. what you can and cannot eat yep. during pregnancy. Exactly. Yep. In general, and then also during pregnancy, right? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. During pregnancy, you get this long list of things that you're never supposed to eat. Uh And yeah. Uh, It reminds me me of Knocked Up. I don't know if you've ever seen that when she's like, I I guess we just can't smoke crack and jump on the trampoline, right? You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's such a laundry list of things that we quote unquote shouldn't do. And when we look outside of our own birth culture, a lot of those things they don't even think about in other countries, right? Like the no sushi, raw seafood thing, right? Like 
well, what do you think they eat in Asian countries, right? They're not going to stop eating that kind of food. It's part of their, it's part of their cultural diet for many folks, right? So yeah, it's just a lot of that stuff that we have all these rules about that we have to examine for ourselves and decide what, you know, what feels safe and doesn't to, for us. And some of it's very, very classist. I know when my sister was pregnant, and this is 12 years ago now, but it was no processed lunch meats, no, no raw, your soft yeah. cheeses. Uh, yeah. No, unpacked like, dried things. Yep. Yeah. And, and then a whole laundry list of, of processed food she wasn't supposed to eat. But for some people, that's what you can afford. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's a very real consideration, right? Like it is such a privilege to be able to pick and choose what you want to eat when you want to eat it. And if you have the funds to eat it. Right. And like also snap and EBT, they don't cover a lot of the stuff that we would say, right. Um, are things are things that you quote unquote should eat during pregnancy. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that's off the list. They don't, no one covers vitamins. No one covers supplements, right. That we, they recommend everyone take right during pregnancy. And we forget that even in those smallest recommendations that they cost money, usually 99% of the time, you know, and that's, that's a, a prohibitor for some people. And, you know, it should be taken into consideration um, when we talk about these restrictions and, you know, requirements really is how they're framed for, for pregnancy. And, and they really are. So for, for folks who are bigger bodied and pregnant, what were you know what are some of the things that you discover going through this that people don't generally talk about because we think of young thin 20 somethings getting pregnant right yeah yeah that's such a good question <laughs> yeah i would say like fat bodies are fucking strong like the biggest misconception is like because you're fat you won't be able to like do certain positions or like you know you won't be able to physically like handle birthing, right? Like you won't be strong enough. And it's so untrue, right? Most fat people are actually a lot stronger than we give them credit for, especially like legs and thighs, because they're walking around with a heavier frame. They're used to carrying a heavier frame. And so I've seen some, you know, some birthers roar babies into this world, right? In such a powerful, you know, feat of strength. And we underestimate fat people and we think that they're lazy and unmotivated, right? All of those tropes about, uh, we don't care about our health. We don't care about ourselves. Right. And it's so it's for most people, it's so untrue. Also health is subjective. And like, I don't think anybody owes anybody health, but I always like to put that in there, but yeah. Right. Like we, we, we have these preconceived notions of fat people and their abilities, um, and that's one of the things that is, I think, the most wrong that I see, that I learn, and that I see constantly is that we're strong. Like we're strong, we're determined, right? We don't have any less love or ferocity for our children than you no know, skinny people. We want them to be, you know, active and safe and you know healthy, right? And and I think that for some reason they think fat folks have different views on that kind of stuff or that we're gonna, you know, from the beginning, just fuck up our kids and like make them fat. And of course there's nothing worse than a fat person. So, you know, we don't want to be that right. Like that's the narrative, then the the lines that get pushed even, even in pregnancy. So one of the other things that comes up is, and you, you talk about perceptions of, of strength and protecting kids. How, does does being fat, does being bigger bodied impact the type of pain relief you get during delivery? 
It can. Yeah. And, and when you say that, do you mean like what you're offered or do you mean how it affects you? Both. Both. Yeah. So that's a good question. I haven't observed too much of bigger bodied folks not being offered support with pain management. I have more seen it often um, offered earlier. So, you know, pushed a little bit earlier than maybe the person. And I see that a lot in general, but I also see it with with my fat clients just a little bit more that, you know, there's questioning in their ability to move through a birth, um, especially vaginally. I see or pelvically, I see a lot of doubt in providers. Um, I see a lot of, oh, well, your baby's going to be huge. So you're not going to be able to do it, right? Like you're you're not going to be able to make it make it through it. Um, so I see more of that like doubt from providers. But as far as pain management, I see often it's pushed for a lot of people, even if they don't necessarily want it or need it. And the other thing I see is, yeah, epidurals, right? Um, that's one of the main, for people who aren't familiar, it's one of the main main forms of pain relief. It's a, you know, it's a spinal um, uh, injection that delivers pain relief when you need it. You hit a little button and it and it helps helps with the contractions. It often causes numbness from the waist down. Um, I see uh, epidurals fail a tiny bit more. Um, I don't know the research on that. I haven't done a ton of research, but anecdotally and from what I've heard from folks I've done consultations with, I see a little bit more of like, oh, the epidural didn't work. Um, and that can be placement issues, people not being comfortable, anesthesiologists not being comfortable with fat bodies. You know, the... the um, uh, misunderstanding of like needing a little bit more uh, because there's more of the human. But I am seeing a change in that, right? That is an appropriate time where they might need to know your weight, right? They might need to know how much mm-hmm. you weigh in order to to determine what to give you. But I also never see my skinny patients get asked that. I never see my straight patients get asked for their weight when they're getting ready for anesthesia. Um, and it happens all the time to my to my fat clients. So you know, there's, there's, you know, even in that. So yeah, I would say offering definitely a little bit from anecdotes and yeah, how the medicine affects nitrous also can affect you differently, um, depending on your, your body composition. Um, that's another form of, um, relief, the gas mask that you can use for, you know, quick relief. And then it fades away really fast. Same stuff you use with the doctor, the dentist. So yeah. Can you get pain relief during a home birth? Um, no. You, I mean, I guess I should, I should um, caveat that by saying you cannot receive the same medical interventions that they offer at the hospital at home. There's no, there are some birth centers depending on where you live. It's called a freestanding birth center. It's basically looks like a fancy kind of hotel where you can go and have your baby. And there are some birth centers that are licensed to have nitrous. That's becoming more common, but legalness around that is pretty difficult. But yeah, that's that's potentially the only one. Otherwise, it's all uh, mental, physical, you know, support from your care team, um, whether it be your doula or you know, if your midwife is going to offer some of that as well. But it's mostly a, mostly a mind game at that point, mind preparation to get through the pain. You you went through all this and then you started my big pregnancy. So let's talk a little bit about your actual work. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, I founded Big Fat Pregnancy actually in 2020, right uh, right kind of after I realized that like my daughter was like everything was good. Like you know I realized that like oh I kind of did some birth processing. I was like oh wait a second, 
I just did that. And she's a human and she's growing and she's fine, you know, and it it just became so clear to me um, how much people need support in general during birth. And at the time I was also in grad school. And so I was doing a ton of research around birth classes, specifically like childbirth education, because I was super unhappy with the lack of inclusion in the the birth class options. You know, it's cis, white, heteronormative, right? Not a lot of representation for different birthing styles, different birthing settings, different birthing preferences. And so anyway, I was doing a bunch of research about this and I got super into birth. And then I found out I was pregnant. And so my whole life became birth for like, you know, a year of of my grad school and then um, actually, you know, being pregnant and having my daughter. And yeah, I just was super, super empowered by the experience of not controlling, but owning, owning my birth, owning my process. And I just thought about how much it would have been nice to have a mentor or a friend or a fat doula right? To have someone who understood what it's like to be fat, right? And like, no, I can't be on my knees for four hours while I'm birthing, right? That hurts my body, right? You know, things like that. I just wish there would have been someone to understand that fatness and like how it impacted me and like how much doubt I had in the beginning, especially of like, can I do this? Like, can my body do this? People tell me my body can't do this. Um, you know, so I I I thought long and hard about like how can I most impact this world? Um and yeah, Big Fat Pregnancy was born out of that of wanting to support other folks. Um I actually started solely with consultation, so talking to folks about their birth journey, debriefing afterwards, supporting them having conversations with um their providers, running through dialogue, that kind of stuff. Um and then it morphed into being a doula and actually being in the room and then also training providers, right? We have to hit both sides of things, right? Supporting our, our clients, but also educating our providers. So yeah, and then oh, yeah. Big Pat Pregnancy was born. <laughs> you now have Big Pat Pregnancy and you offer different types of support, right? One, if people are, yeah. are local to you and, and others online. So do you want to talk a little bit about some of the, the sure. supports you offer? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in person, if you're local to the Seattle area, um, we offer um, birth and postpartum doula work. So that's direct birth support during your birthing activities, however long it takes to bring baby earthside. And then we offer postpartum support, which can be anything from newborn education to direct care um, of the parents um, or, you know, support person, people in the in the family. Um, and that we do that kind of like in package form. Um, and then if you're not local, we offer virtual doula support, which can be, excuse me, anything from suggesting position changes, if labor stalls, FaceTiming, you know, uh, running through a situation with clients during birth. We're usually not live for like 24 hours at a time with folks, but we will answer questions. We're available via text, right? All of that stuff. And then for folks who aren't close and don't want virtual doula support, or they have a great in-person doula, um, we offer what I call birth mentoring or fat consultation, fat birth consultation, which is a time to just discuss anything that's coming up, um, a time to get educated on what research is out there around bias in pregnancy, what the studies say about different interventions um, so that people can be can be armed with some information when they come up against providers who say something that may not be true <laughs> um, so that they you know know their know their own stuff own their own stuff um, and then like I said a lot of debriefing a lot of processing medical trauma and hard births and 
outcomes that were not wanted, you know, those sorts of things. So holding space to be seen and and recognize how how shitty that is. And you're offering a class in January, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, super exciting. Thanks for reminding me about that. So yeah, we are starting, um, we are offering a class in January. It's called Expecting and Empowered. And it's for um, folks who live in larger bodies who want to be pregnant or are already pregnant, kind of early pregnancy. Um, and it's a deep dive into how weight bias shows up in prenatal care and what kind of situations folks should be prepared for or aware of that could happen. And the evidence and dialogue on the other side to help them, you know, have that conversation with their provider. And we couple that with um, self-advocacy training and reflection and skill building so that folks feel confident going into their provider and then having these conversations. And we also do a short section on how to find a provider. So what that's that thing we talked about earlier, how do you even look for a fat positive provider or a size inclusive provider? Um, what questions should you ask when you interview them? And then what to do when conflict arises. That's fantastic. So you, you've brought humans into this world. You've been doing this work now for almost four years as your full-time thing. How has that changed the relationship with your own body? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, I'm a badass. Like I, I love my body, right? Like having a baby for me changed my life. Like it, in many ways, obviously becoming a parent changes your life. But for me and my relationship with my body, it completely transformed how I saw myself, right? I no longer saw myself as that lazy, unmotivated, weak willed, that person who like was only accepted when I was trying to lose weight, right? When I was being that good fat, right? That good fat person. And it gave me kind of a, kind of a cocky ego about like, I don't care. I don't care what you say, right? Like this has been my experience and like I did it. And like, you know, I had a great time and, you know, I'm strong and I'm, you know, powerful and I'm capable. And I've had several, you know, situations since with providers, you know, around weight and or other issues where I've defended myself and I've, and I've stood up for myself in, in, places where I previously would have been like, yeah, okay, okay, thanks, you know, and then walked away completely defeated and hurt, right? Um, so it's it's given me, it's given me a lot of empowerment to to embrace my body and and thank her. Thank her for all the hard work she does every single day and and that she did, you know, growing to humans. Like that's not easy. And anybody who thinks it's easy to be pregnant, uh, right? It, it's not, but it also can be a really, really wonderful healing time, right? If you're, if you have the right support and, you know, are able to process some of that stuff. So yeah, I, I think there's a possibility for revolution for other folks, for, for rebellion and through a, through a fat positive pregnancy for sure. That's fantastic. If our listeners want to find you, if they want to sign up for your class, if they want to follow my big fat pregnancy and get resources, plug all your site. Yeah, yeah. So we, you can find us online at www.bigfatpregnancy.com. And then basically any other social media platform, that's our handle. So Instagram, we're at Big Fat Pregnancy. Pinterest, we're Pinterest dot slash Big Fat Pregnancy. 
you can pretty much search Big Fat Pregnancy and you'll find us in in any in any platform. Uh, yeah, we are launching a course beginning of January. We're doing a masterclass webinar at the end of the year um, that folks can take to kind of get a taste for the course. Yeah, they can reach out to us. They can schedule direct um, consultations online. We offer a free consult for anybody who wants it. So we do a free 20 minute, I think 20, 30 minute consult where you can bring anything anything to me and we can we can talk it out and then I do some email support afterwards. So yeah, uh, those are the main ways you can get a hold of us. Um, you can email me bfp at bigfatpregnancy.com. I love hearing birth stories and I love hearing the experience of fat folks. So if any of your listeners are pregnant, get pregnant and want to email us and tell us about it or share pictures, we absolutely love that. Um, we love celebrating in, in the success and the triumph of, of fat folks. So yeah, that's how you can find us. And that's what we're offering in the future. Those are wonderful resources. Listeners will have all of those links and more on our site. Christina, thank you so much for being here and for reaching out. This has been fantastic. And uh, yeah, listeners like, subscribe, you know, do all the things. (laughs) Thanks so much. And now a moment of gratitude. Oh, that's also a good question. I am so grateful for, um, actually for my kids <laughs> because sometimes I don't like them. And sometimes I don't like being a mom in this society. I don't like how we treat, you know, parents and, and mothers specifically birthing, birthing folks. Um, but they remind me every day how strong I am because they're physical manifestations and, and, and representation, their real life things I can touch and see of like, I grew that and I brought it out of my body and I figured out how to feed it a little bit here and there uh, and keep it alive. Right. And like, I always say I'm horrible with plants, but I've kept two children alive. So I feel like I'm doing things. So they just remind me why this work is so important. And they remind me to be grateful that I did have such a positive experience and that I can come to this work not from trauma, but from the desire and the will to show other people that there's another way. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.